Uh, if you would, we're going to uh, look at the word and then uh, we're going to be ordaining David Kessering as a deacon today. Uh, so uh, the sermon, again, is going to be focused on Christian service. So if you would open your Bibles to First Peter 4. Last week we talked a little bit about the specifics of the role of deacon. Today I want to mention three things. Briefly, one, the purpose, which will be brief because we covered it last week, but the purpose of deacon service. Secondly, the pattern of service, and then the power for service. First, uh, Peter, chapter 4, Peter says in verse 7, But the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers, and above all things... Have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another, or serve. As I said last week, the word minister and the word serve in the Bible are really the same Greek word, or a form of the same word. So, so as you've received a gift, serve others with, with that gift is what he's saying. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers or serves, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion Forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you um, for the worship today. We thank you for the supper you've given us to uh, continually remind us that our relationship with you is based upon the work of your son Jesus. Because of his broken body, his shed blood, we can come to know you. We stand before you in grace. We are accepted by you because of his work and nothing that we have done or ever will do. Lord, your love is is beyond our comprehension. It is is, uh, just infinite. it's, 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 It's impossible for us to grasp apart from your Holy Spirit. Uh, We pray that um, we would truly know the love that you have for us and the love that your son has so that we might walk in love toward one another. I ask that today as we look at your word, Lord, that we would, uh, our hearts would be moved to be servants like um, your son was called by you, your servant, the servant of Jehovah. So I pray, Lord, that you administer your word through your Holy Spirit today. We thank you for the gift of both your word and your spirit. Bless the word, Lord, to our to our souls in Jesus' name and for his glory alone. Amen. First, the purpose of deacon service. As we as we said uh, last week, I believe I pointed out that the, actually the word deacon, uh, some scholars have traced the, the word to the idea of dust or dirt. The idea of going through dirt or walking through dirt. In other words, doing the dirty work, doing the, the menial things, doing the things that other people do not want to do. We looked last week at John 13 where Jesus was having dinner with his disciples and Jesus took a towel, 
Jesus went down and got on his knees and Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. This was the work for the servants to do, not the masters. This was the dirty work, getting the dirt off of others, if you will, getting the dirt on yourself. Um, uh, I had, I, I've told you the story before, but Moise Rosen, Rosen who was the uh, president of Jews for Jesus, founder actually, president, I had the honor of knowing him. And when he uh, had people join his ministry, one of the things he did is the first year in the ministry, they were required to clean toilets. Glad Jake just signed up. <laughs> so they, they were, the, and he actually, there were people that quit his ministry because they didn't want to do it. Um, and it, the whole point of, of that service was to teach them to have a servant's heart. There's no task for the kingdom which is too menial for us to do. There's no task which affects the body of Christ, which is the, the apple of God's eye. There's no task which is beneath us, if you will, if we understand who Jesus was and who we are as servants of God. To be a servant, to be a deacon, means we understand that we're willing to walk through the dust, we're willing to do the dirty work, get our hands dirty, get down on our knees, humble ourselves, etc. And the, the purpose of the office is, of course, to relieve the needs of the saints, whatever those needs might be, to serve in really any capacity that's needed. Um, generally, the deacons serve and they take care of the finances, they take care of the church facility, but they take care of a host of things um, around the church, because they're servants. You know what servants do? They serve. And um, my, uh, my friend George Grant once said to me, he said, you know, he said, we all want to be servants, but we don't want to be treated like servants. And that's really, that's really stuck with me because I want to be a servant because Jesus said, if you're a servant... That, that's the way to be the greatest. Don't you want to be the greatest? I mean, be a servant, right? But then when people treat you like a servant, when people order you around, when people expect you to be the one that is, are the, is the last person in the building to turn everything off, or people expect you to be the one to take care of the trash, well, you don't really like being treated like a servant. That's the problem. So the, the deacons and those who have a true servant heart they're willing to serve in any capacity because they understand what uh, servanthood is all about. They relieve the needs of the church, but they also relieve the needs of the pastors because by serving in those capacities, they free the pastors for the ministry of prayer and the word, counsel, and other things that the pastors are called to do. <clears throat> um, the pattern of our of service. <clears throat> I want to mention four things quickly. Those who have a servant's heart serve, first of all, willingly. Willingly. Look at Psalm 40. We'll probably come back to 1 Peter, but look at Psalm 40. Because when we think about the pattern of Christian service, as I said last week, the ultimate example of service is who? It's Jesus Christ. He's the exemplar. He is the pattern, if you will, for true service. In uh, Psalm 40, this is a messianic psalm. And what that means is, is that in this psalm, Jesus speaks. 
Jesus says in Psalm 40, He's talking to God. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Now, by the way, when you're reading the Old Testament, especially the Psalms, and you see these verses about sacrifice, they're not talking about sacrifice like giving something up, like something being hard sacrifice. They mean the ritual sacrifice, okay? The offerings of the Old Covenant. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Some versions say my ears you have pierced. And the, the significance of that is when when an Israelite had a slave, he would often pierce the ear of the slave as a mark of his servanthood, of his bondage to the master. So it may the text may read, it's debated, my ears you have pierced. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book, it is written of me. So the scroll of the book is this book, right? In, in this book is about me. This is what Messiah Jesus is saying. It's, it's about me. I'm coming. The scroll of the book is written about me. But notice verse 8. Messiah says, I delight to do your will, O my God. And your law is within my heart. The first mark of a servant is a willingness to do the the uh, will of God. And, and I wasn't sure if the best word was willingness or eagerness or readiness or what's what's the best term. But the point is, the the uh, here Messiah, the servant, is saying to God, I'm coming and I'm coming not to do my will, not to even do the will of those I'm serving. I'm coming, God, to do your will because I delight in doing your will. And we see this in the Gospels where Jesus um, talks about doing the work and doing the will of his Father. Look at John 4, just one passage. There's so many. In John chapter 4, Jesus, this is a a well-known text to many of you, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Jesus uh, and the disciples are cutting through Samaria. Jesus it says that Jesus uh, was thirsty. He went to the well, has this conversation with this woman. And he says, uh, it says um, the disciples were off getting food. Okay. Jesus stayed and ministered to this woman. And then it says here in, um, where do we want to begin? Verse 27. At this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they came out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Of course, the disciples thinking on the natural plane, right? As they often did. And Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. 
Jesus would forego literal food because of the spiritual food. He, he not only did the will of God, he fed on it. He fed on it. It was a source of delight and satisfaction to him. That is the heart of a servant. And if you remember our text in 1 Peter 4, he says, uh, Peter says, exercise hospitality, but then he adds this phrase, without grumbling. Because you can be hospitable, but you can grumble. You can open your home, and then when people come over, you can complain about the kids messing up the carpet, and this and that, and this and that, and this and that. Well, you're being, quote, hospitable, but not with the right heart, not the right attitude. Jesus delighted to do the will of the Father, and he found satisfaction in obedience to God's will. Satisfaction in service. Secondly, uh, a servant should be motivated by love. We've, we looked at John 13 last week. We won't, we won't dig into it again. But it is striking at the beginning of the passage. Okay, we'll turn there real quick. Since we're in John. John 13. It's striking that the, kind of the opening part of this passage is a description of Jesus, really his heart. Before, before he gets into actually doing the, the, the foot washing. And it says in verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And of course this speaks to the motive for what Jesus did. The ultimate motive we've already looked at, the glory of God. Jesus says, Father, I delight to do your will. The first priority is serving God. But then the other motive is, is a genuine love and concern for others. So Jesus loved his own, and because he loved his own, he was willing to serve his own. Um, so we see the, the foot washing here that takes place. And then toward the end of the chapter, in verse 34, Jesus says this. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, scholars have debated, why did Jesus say, a new commandment I give to you, because if you read the Old Covenant, we're commanded to love others in the Old Covenant. So it's like, wait a minute, this isn't really a new commandment, because God said to love your neighbor in the Old Covenant, so how is this new? Well, it's new because Jesus said to we, <clears throat> that we are to love one another, not simply as we love ourselves, that's the golden rule. Rather, we are to love one another as I have loved you. That is to say, we now have a new pattern for loving others, and that pattern is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Jesus defines love here as loving others as he loved us. Well, how did he love us? Well, he just demonstrated to them how he loved. He, he, he got down on his knees. He humbled himself. He washed their feet. And, of course, we know that that was just a picture. It was a, an acting out of his work of redemption. 
Because in the work of redemption, Jesus came. He set aside the glory of his deity. He took the robe of humanity like that servant's towel. He came down, condescended. He poured himself out for others. And he cleansed us from our sin. He cleansed us from our sin through his death on the cross. Then he took the robe off, took his glory again, was resurrected and ascended into heaven. And that's, that's, that foot washing is a picture of that work for us. And so he tells us that we are to love others as he loved us. What does that really mean? Well, I can tell you this. It means that we are to love one another sacrificially. Sacrificially. Um, we'll come back, look at Philippians 2. Philippians 2. We'll start in verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, if there's any consolation or comfort in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That, of course, is exactly what a servant does. A servant is not serving himself. He's serving others. He's looking out for the needs and the interests of other people. That is exactly what the office of deacon exemplifies. Then he says this, But let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus was motivated to come and serve us through everything that he did, his works of healing, his his teaching, ultimately his sacrificial death and resurrection. First, because of his willingness and desire to serve God. Secondly, because of his love for others. And then thirdly, he was able to do this because of his humility. His humility. This, of course, is um, really what Paul is getting at here in this text when he exhorts us to look out for other people, he, 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 the first thing he addresses is our pride. He says, you're not, you're not really better than other people, although you think you are. So in your interaction with others, don't be motivated by, by conceit, by selfish ambition, but rather in lowliness of mind. This is the biblical phrase for humility. Okay? In humility, esteem others better than yourselves. Recognize the good qualities in other people. Appreciate um, what God is doing in them. Appreciate their service. Honor others. Esteem others, etc. And then look out for other people. Service, the, the, one of the great obstacles of service is really the way we think and the way we look at things. We think that things are beneath us. We think that, 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 uh, we're, we're too good to do whatever. So there's a problem of our perception. 
But the real root problem is really a, is a problem of will. Okay? A problem of will. The, the, and Paul addresses both here. He says, don't be proud. That's, that, that's a mind problem. But then he says, don't be selfish. That's a will problem. Okay? That's, and those are really the two greatest obstacles of service. Pride and selfishness. And Paul addresses both here. He, and and he, as he exhorts us to serve others, to look out for the needs of others, what example does he give us? He gives us Jesus. He is the example. Amen? And he gives the example of the fact that Jesus, although he was God, set aside the, 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 the majesty of his deity, and he came and he veiled himself in our humanity, and not only so, but then he, in his life, he served us while here. And then he was willing to humble himself further by dying. But then he was willing to humble himself even further by dying a, in a death which was for a criminal. I mean, when you think about what Jesus deserved as God, the praise, the honor, the recognition that he deserved as God. And then you look at the way he was treated. It's the exact opposite. The exact opposite of what he deserved. And yet he was willing to, because of his humility, stoop to that level to serve us. I mean, it's, it's, it's an astounding, it, it is mind-blowing that Jesus would do what he did. But he's our example. That we are to humble ourselves in order to serve others. The last point I want to make about the pattern of service is fidelity, faithfulness. We need to be willing. We need to be motivated by love. We need to be humble but we need to be faithful. Faithful. Um, John 17. Jesus uh, tells many parables about faithful service. We're not going to look at those, but I, wanna, I do want to point something out about Jesus' own service because he's the pattern here. In John 17, Jesus praying. It says, Father, verse 1, the hours come, glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus didn't say, I almost got it done. Jesus didn't say, Lord, I'll get to it later. Jesus didn't say, uh, Father, I got too busy. Uh, Jesus didn't say, Lord, I don't have time. What did Jesus say? He said, Father, you gave me a work. You gave me something to do. And I finished what you gave me to do. Jesus was faithful. And he was faithful unto the end. Are you hearing me? Faithful unto the end. Now, if Jesus had adopted some of the excuses we adopt, we would not be saved. There would be no redemption. Because we come up with things like, I'm too tired. 
It's too early. No, it's too late. Well, I'm busy. Well, I have other obligations. Well, I can't. And, and, and so when we are called to service, we are called to serve. And that means that we are called to finish the job, whatever that job is. So if God calls you to serve in, a, in, in teaching catechism, then God calls you to serve and to finish the job. That means you show up when you're supposed to serve. If you're supposed to serve in the nursery, that means on the morning you serve, you get here early and you finish the job. If you're supposed to, whatever your ministry is, you finish the job. I mean, we have men in this church who can't show up on the day they're supposed to be an usher. Finish the job. Finish the job in any and every ministry, whatever you're doing. And finishing the job means not only that you show up, but that you do your ministry with excellence. Jesus said, Father, I've glorified you, not because I kind of slugged through this thing and put up with all the stuff from people. I didn't say the C word. But as we saw earlier, Father, I delight to do your will. I'm coming to do your will. Whether you're an usher or a nursery or catechism or the worship team or the audiovisual ministry or on the deacon board or an elder, whatever, and there are many other ministries in the church, you should be delighting because it is God's will. It is God's service. And that means you finish the job, you do the job, and you do the job with excellence because it's God's job. And some of us would never, ever act at work the way we act at church. We would never walk into work late every day. We would never walk out of work early. We would never leave the jobs unfinished. We would never do the job half-hearted because we would know we'd get fired. We say, ah, it's all about grace. It's all about grace. So does grace mean I can be lazy? Does grace mean I can be mediocre? Does grace mean that I can be non-committal? Does grace mean I can just not show up? No, that's not what grace, that's an abuse of grace. That is an abuse of grace. We Christians ought to be known for our excellence in what we do. Our excellence in what we do. Uh, in 1 Peter 4, our opening text, he says, As each one has received a gift, minister it, to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You are a steward of grace that God has given you. You are a steward of the gifts He's given you. You are a steward of the ministry He has given you. And the question is, is are you a faithful steward? Faithful servanthood means doing the job and doing the job to the very best of your ability as is infused with the grace of God. We should have the best, and I don't mean the best in the sense of the richest, I mean the best in the sense of genuine quality, the best heartfelt service that we can give to God in every area of ministry. Someone say amen. I mean, would it be okay with you if I just never prepare for my sermons? Is that okay? So I have to work hard so you don't have to? 
I'm supposed to labor in the Word and doctrine so you don't have to labor? Well, of course not. We are all called to labor. That's what, that's what servants do. They work. And so we're called to service and we're called to finish the service and complete the service and do the very best job we can do. And sometimes that means you get up early. Sometimes that means you stay late. But I can guarantee you this. It means that you're going to work. You have to work hard. You have to give your time. You have to give your energy. You have to give prayer. You have to give money. You have to do it, man. Do it, man. Oh, isn't that like a slogan? Do it, Nike. You know what Nike means? It's from a Greek word, Nike. You know what Nike means? Victory! You don't get victory, man, if you don't do it. You don't win the battle if you don't fight. You don't complete the job if you don't even start. Right? So we should have the best worship team in the nation. The best. We should have the best children's ministry, the best of everything, because we are serving the living God who is the one and only, and He's the best. He is the best. And that should motivate us in all that we do for the Lord. It should, it should motivate all of you next week when we have, are we having a work day next week? Next Saturday, you should be here. You know why? Because you want God's house to be the best. And so you're going to give two or three hours of your precious time. Your precious time. I don't know how you're going to find time to do that. Two or three hours of precious time. You probably spend two or three hours watching TV every day. I mean, let's be real. This is not a problem of time. This is a problem of heart. This is a heart issue. Willingness, love, humility, these are heart issues. And when we are called to be like Jesus, that means we are called to let the heart of Jesus beat in our chest. We are called to be like Him, and He was a servant. I think Jesus even shows up on work days. By the way, He was a carpenter. Right? You should be coming to the prayer meeting once a month. You know why? Because your intercession for others is an act of service. You should be giving a couple hours, just once a month, for the benefit of other people in the spiritual area where you intercede for them. And then you can come once every couple months and give a few hours in the physical realm to minister to others through having a nice sanctuary and a nice building for God's work. This really isn't that hard. And if we're not doing this, I can guarantee you, we're not understanding Christian service. It's not excellence. We need to ramp it up. You hearing me? We need to ramp it up. We need to do much better. Much better than we're doing. And Jesus Christ is our pattern. He was willing. He was uh, motivated by love. He was humble. And He was faithful. And these are four marks of what each of us should be, whatever our area of ministry. By the way, some of you aren't even involved in a ministry. And when I say a ministry, I don't mean coming to be ministered to. Coming to a Bible study while someone else ministers the Word to you is not being involved in a ministry. It's attending a meeting. 
Now that's good. You should do that. Being involved in ministry means you are giving your time and energy to serve other people, not to be served. Every one of us should be involved in at least one ministry. At least one, at a minimum. Why? Because God's manifold grace has been given to you, and you have gifts to use for God in His kingdom. You have a calling from God to serve Him in a significant way. So it is time to be about the Father's business. It's time to do the Father's business and not your business. Last point. I really don't have time. The power of service is simply the Holy Spirit. The reason people burn out in ministry is because a lot of ministry goes on in the power of the flesh. This is why in Acts 6, we'll read this and then we're going to pray over David. In Acts 6, where we see the uh, what many people believe is the beginning of the office of deacon. It says here in Acts 6, then the 12 in verse 2, then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave or abandon the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And then it talks in verse 5 about faith and the Holy Spirit. Twice in this passage, when it's talking about deacons, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the power for Christian service is the Holy Spirit. If I, I can assure you of this. If you get full of the Holy Ghost, you'll serve God. I can sit up here and I can, I can preach at you and I can try to make you feel guilty and I can try to shame you and all that. I'm not going to do that because that's, you know, that's stupid. But if you get full of the Holy Spirit, you'll serve. When I got saved, you know what I did? I started serving God. Nobody lectured me about serving. Nobody told me I had to do anything. It was like, let's do this Jesus thing, man. Let's do it. Let's share the gospel. Let's worship. Let's pray. Let's do, let's do this thing. Because I have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit inspires service. That's what He does. He empowers for service. And if you're not serving, then you're probably grieving the Holy Spirit. You're probably quenching His, His work in your life. Because He is the power for service. The ultimate goal, and I will conclude, is that God may be glorified. Peter says that God has given many gifts to many people, and whatever those gifts are, we are to minister to them, minister them according to God's ability, that is the Holy Spirit, that God may be glorified in all things, right? Jesus said the same thing in John 17. He said, Father, I've glorified you on the earth. How? I have finished the work or the ministry that you have given me. Jesus still today is glorifying the Father on the earth. But now He's doing it through His servants. We need to join with Jesus. Amen? Join with Jesus in the great work of bringing glory to God through being servants like Jesus. That's what we're called to do. To be like Him and thus to glorify both Him and the Father. Jesus has things he wants to get done. 
but he's going to use his body to do them. And if I know anything about Jesus after all these years of walking with the Lord, Jesus is not mediocre. He's the best. The fairest of 10,000. Amen? And that's what he inspires in us. To serve, to serve with willingness, to serve with love, to serve with humility, and to serve with faithfulness. Lord, bless this word to our souls. I pray for every one of us that we would join with Jesus. I pray for every member of this church to be serving according to the grace of God that you've given them. And I pray, Lord, that they'd be serving willingly, lovingly, that they would be serving with humility and with faithfulness. We ask, Lord, that we would allow your Holy Spirit to have his way in our hearts, that he might empower us to do your work, to bring you glory on the earth, just like your son Jesus did. And we pray in his name. Amen. All right, we're going to have Pastor Bond come up, and uh, David and Heather need to come forward. David, do you understand the duties and qualifications of the biblical office of deacon? As a servant of the church, will you submit to the authority of the pastors in all matters of church government, and will you so labor that they might be free to devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word? Do you promise in the presence of God in this congregation to live in a manner consistent with the qualifications of your office and to accept the responsibility of the office of deacon and to discharge all duties of that office without murmuring or complaint. All right. Why don't we, uh, let's move you down here and have all the deacons come forward. We're going to pray over David and Heather. In. <laughs> In. All right, Pastor Bond will open and then I'll, I'll um, then pray. Father, we thank you that we are gathered here today as brothers and sisters, and we have the um, privilege of uh, laying hands on the Kessel Rings, Lord, of ordaining um, David, of Heather, uh, to this ministry, God. And I pray, Lord, that um, they would serve you well. We thank you for their service already at Liberty, um, to the service they do for many, many people here, God, that we are blessed by it. And I pray, God, as uh, we move forward, that we would continue to be blessed by their ministry. I pray that they would persevere. When the days get long and the weeks get tough, God, that you would fill them with your spirit. Yes. You would have them to press on, God, and lean into you, Lord. Um, shower them with your grace and your mercy. Mm-hmm. In your name. Father, I want to thank you also um, for all these uh, men and their wives that have served for a number of years and just their faithful and faceless service. Um, I thank you that they understand what I said today about service, I thank you that they're motivated by a desire to please you, by love for the body, that they're humble, that they're faithful, and I, I thank you, Lord, that you've given us such faithful deacons. I pray also for David and Heather. I ask that you would put a shield of protection about them mm-hmm. as they enter this office. Lord, I know that the uh, spiritual warfare will get more intense. And Lord, I pray that you guard and protect them. I pray for spiritual discernment regarding the work of the enemy. I pray, Lord, that David and Heather would truly be full of your spirit. Mm -hmm. 
they will learn to walk in the fullness of your spirit, that, that they might discharge the duties of this office in a way that honors you and truly builds up the body of Christ. We thank you for them and their willingness to serve. Lord, use them uh, far beyond anything we can even think or ask. We ask it in the name of Jesus and for his glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.